You are listening to Mountain Bike Radio. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the LW Coaching Show with Linda Wallenfels. Linda, thanks for joining me. Oh, good to be here again. Today's topic, uh, it's kind of timely since if you haven't heard this past weekend was the Epic Rides Whiskey Off-Road down in Prescott, Arizona. And Prescott, Arizona, end of April, you would think normally it's about 70 degrees, nice, sunny. It was low 30s, rain at the kind of the bottom, snowing. If you haven't seen pictures, just go to epicrides.com. There was snow in late April in Arizona. Um, and then the Cahutta 100 it was very hot down there uh, this past weekend. So thought it'd be a good, good opportunity for uh, Linda to come on and discuss um, some tips. Um, some Well, first of all, some what is extreme conditions and some things that you can take away from this to manage extreme conditions, whether it's warm or cold. Um, and I, I will also say, <clears throat> excuse me, if you haven't heard uh, the LW Coaching Show before, um, go back to the main, you're listening to this on the website, go back to the main show page and you can kind of scroll through all the other episodes that we've done so far. There's a lot of good information, tips, um, and if you have any further questions after this, go to lwcoaching.com. Uh, that's Linda's website. And actually, I'm going to get this posted as soon as I can today. Um, today is one of her open coaching days, so I will let her discuss that at the end, um, but Let's get into extreme conditions, Linda. So tell us, what what are extreme conditions? What do we need to consider? Give us give us your experience and expertise. Uh, well, for mountain bike racing, extreme conditions, we're really talking about what's unexpected from the norm, like a spring blizzard at Whiskey 50 or the warm temperatures at Cahuta. Now, Cahuta... They've had they've raced in hotter temperatures and it wasn't record temperatures. So the key part of that was that people hadn't trained in those conditions. So extreme temperatures or extreme conditions are something that you haven't prepared for. You show up and it's something different that you haven't had the opportunity to train in and adapt to and get ready for. Um for example, I have an athlete that lives in Nome, Alaska, and what's normal training conditions for him would absolutely be extreme for me. He'll, he relishes going out and training in 45 mile an hour winds and minus 10 degree temperatures, and that would definitely be extreme for me, but that's normal for him, and he races that I did a bike, which is normal conditions. So extreme is really something that you haven't adapted to that you're not expecting and that you're not prepared for. So these are things that you can prepare for before the race. You can look at the weather forecast and avoid the unexpected bit. And we've, there's plenty of races that we've had warning that the weather's going to be really tough that day. And if you've looked at the weather forecast and you've prepared ahead of time, it's not extreme, but say at Whiskey 50, if you started with fingerless gloves and a short sleeve jersey, then you were probably DNFing that race. 
Yeah, I actually saw a picture of a guy. This I think it looked to be on the first climb where the snow kind of the snow line or snow level was at. Um, and he had fingers gloves. He had a jacket, but he had shorts and fingers gloves. And I was like, there's no way that that guy made it. I heard that 50% of the field DNF'd at whiskey. Yeesh. So mm-hmm. what could they have done? So let's say we're in that situation. So somebody in that, um, you know, maybe a week out, what are they? What should they do? What okay, they- so later we're going to go into exactly what to do when it's colder and wetter than expected okay. and what to do when it's hotter than expected. But right now I just want to talk more about avoiding the unexpected. So the number one thing to do to avoid the unexpected is look at the weather forecast and then talk to people that have done the race before. And generally the extreme days are the ones that you hear stories about. Wow. So wet that day. It was so hot that day. So just a little bit of homework can eliminate the unexpected part. And if you show up prepared and everyone else on the start line is not prepared, then that gives you a really good opportunity to perform beyond where you would normally perform in a race. So it's a real tactical advantage to be prepared. So know what gear that you need. Like at Whiskey 50, long sleeve, jersey, jacket, warm gloves, booties, all those kind of things keep yourself warm. So check in weather forecasts. That's the number one thing. And a really great example of that one is another Arizona race, the Arizona Trail Race. In 2012, Kurt Refsnyder, he checked the forecast, and he started way down near the Arizona border with a pack full of booties and warm winter gear, and nobody else did because it was a beautiful day. Then by the time they got to Mount Lemmon, the storm hit that Kurt had seen in the forecast, he was able to put on all his clothes and forge through the storm to take the win where everybody else, they had to bivy and huddle down and they weren't able to keep going because they weren't prepared. Yeah. And with the, with the whiskey, that's one thing where even if you did start off with the, you know, let's say you started off with the shorts and gloves or whatever, that was one of those days when it's okay to, to fill a pack of whatever you're going to need to get through it. Yeah, I heard there was some real suffering at one place. There was a truck with their engine running, and people were stopping to put their hands on the exhaust pipe. Oh, no, that's bad. And they were waiting in line. There was a line of guys waiting to warm their hands up. I know. So I would have probably been in that line, too. I'm not good with the cold. Yeah. So colder than expected. What the reason people were starting at Whiskey 50 with fingerless gloves is that's what they drove to Prescott. They probably live in Phoenix. They drove to Prescott and they didn't even own warm gloves. And perhaps you can't find warm gloves at six in the morning in Prescott. So they started with what they had. So be having options, being prepared. That's the biggest thing that can help you deal with extreme conditions. Mm-hmm. So cold conditions, really, you want to protect your core, but you also want to have something that will vent. So on the climbs, you can unzip and vent so you don't get super sweaty. And then on the descents, you can easily zip it up. 
And then your extremities, your feet and your hands, you want to have something that will keep them warm and protect them. And if you've got warm hands and feet and a reasonably warm core, you can keep going in pretty dire conditions. The other key thing to do when it's really colder than you expected is drop your pace just a little bit to ensure that you don't bonk because and keep fueling. You do need a few extra calories to stay warm. So you want to keep your pace even and make sure that you're able to keep your metabolism up, keep your body core temperature up all the way to the end. If you do stop or you bonk and your metabolism drops and you start to cool off, it's difficult to warm back up again. Can I interrupt you with a with a comment here or a question? Um, I You've think, done that? <laughs> yeah, well... So I think um, it was John Davis over at uh, Elevated Legs. He told me, I think it was a, a tip from you about arm warmers and keeping your hands warm. Um, about, you know, people always think, oh, I'll just put on another layer of gloves when maybe, in fact, it's your arms that are getting cold and you don't realize it. Um, so- Absolutely. And your forearms, there's a lot of blood that's near the surface. So just having something windproof on your forearms goes a long way to keeping your hands warm. Okay. So that's a, a – in arm warmers don't take up a lot of room. If you need an extra pair of them, put them in your pocket, you know. And they're so great because they're so easy to roll down if you're getting hot and then you just look like an 80s drum player having them hanging around your wrists. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. Uh. You get funny tan lines. Yeah, exactly. And mm-hmm. and with that too, you you touched on it, but it, do you is a significant amount more energy? Say it's you're used to riding in maybe like sixty degrees, right? And it's in the thirties, like it was at uh, in Prescott. Is that a significant dif- difference in calories, or are we talking maybe just a few extra? You know, maybe if you're taking in two hundred and fifty an hour, let's say, is it? Is it like an extra 50 or is it extra, is it just a little bit more? What's yeah, Just to give I, people an idea. I would recommend an extra 50 with the caveat that your stomach has to process it. Right. So uh, there's no point adding extra calories in if you know that you have a limit during a race that your stomach will revolt if you put in more. Right. I just, it just, I was kind of going from the idea of just giving people an idea of how much extra it takes, you know? Yeah. Yep. And fi- just a little bit, 50, not much more. Okay, cool. So hotter than expected conditions. We had hot conditions at Kahata. I had some athletes there, and we prepped them all beforehand, and none of them had a problem during the race. It, I think the high temperature was 81. It wasn't that hot, but because it's an early season race, nobody has been training in 81 degree temperatures, so... They're missing the adaptation part. And if it was August, then nobody would blink it. And it, in fact, 81 might be cool in August <laughs> in the yeah. South. Yeah. And people tend to forget from year to year what to do in a hot race. And it, it's kind of silly, but people do. People always blow their first hot race of the year. And... Some key things are have a light-colored jersey. Don't start a hot race in a full black kit if you can avoid it. And sleeveless jerseys are great. Arm coolers are great. You know, those white arm coolers. 
and they work best when they're wet. So carry a little bit of extra water so you can keep them wet the whole time. And then going through aid stations, put water on your head and your back. If you can get your drinks handed up to you, iced down, that's a really great thing to do on hot days. And then if it's really hot and you do have assistance, people handing you up things, you can put ice in some pantyhose and put that around the back of your neck and ride with that. And that's another really good strategy to keep yourself cool while you're racing. And pacing again in extreme conditions, you want to back your pace down. And this is even more important when it's hot. If you overheat during a race, then you're pretty much done unless you find a river or a lake to dunk yourself in. Um, To stay at race pace once you've overheated is pretty much impossible. It's really hard to come back from overheating. So hot days, it's really important to be conservative with your pace. And increase your hydration, increase your electrolyte intake. Those are the basics of racing in conditions hotter than you've adapted to. Okay, so given that, let's say you're, again, go back to the 60 degrees, and let's say it's 85 degrees. Um, Is there kind of a general rule to start with? Say, you know, instead of going 100%, you'd go 75% or uh, 50% if it's like 100 degrees. Is there some kind of thing you can, uh, basis to start with that you can, you know, if somebody's new to that and never really thought about it, that they could start with? Yeah, what's easier to monitor is how your head's feeling. And, you know, you get that sensation where your head's boiling. (laughs) Yeah. You want to stay below your head boiling pace. And that kind of comes on where your eye sockets start to feel hot. And so as soon as you start to feel your cheeks are overly flushed and your eye sockets get hot, then that's your first sign that you really need to back off the pace. If you've... If you've totally overdone it, you'll have that head boiling sensation and you might start to get goosebumps or tunnel vision. Those are when you're overheated and dehydrated and you really need to back off for safety at that point. Okay. Basically, at that point, it's too late if you're starting to see things. Yeah. Yeah. And it's really difficult to give you actual numbers of 80%, 90%. A rough guideline is as you start to heat off, you will gradually back it down. And it also depends on how adapted you are, how much shade cover you have, what the humidity is, lots of factors in there. So just paying attention to how your head feels is the easiest thing to do. Yeah, for sure. And And I was just going off numbers just because I didn't know, you know, if there's some kind of tip or some kind of that way but i think the head thing i think that's a really good tip for people to uh because you can picture it just sitting here talking i can see like i can feel my head you know i can feel it so um is there you know as far as conditioning for it you know is there some kind of you know generally what do you see in athletes does it take you know maybe a two hot rides or is it more like three week process where they need to get used to you know like if they come down for one of your training camps, for example, and they're used to cold weather and it's nice out, warm, is that something that over a weekend they can adapt to, or is it more of a drawn-out process to the heat? 
Well, the research shows that to really adapt to the heat takes 10 days. And the 10 days immediately prior to your event are the ones that are most important. So even if you live in Alaska, if you've got 10 days to adapt to the heat, you can do it in 10 days. Okay. Is there uh, any studies on cold? Because it, it seems like it takes a while to get used to cold. Is it like a 10-day process for that too? So if you're going to a you know, I haven't seen studies about adapting to cold. Most of the um, strategies for cold is in dressing and venting. Okay. Because, you know, go, from going from a place, you know, Denver and I spent some time back in Wisconsin the end of last year. Um, you know, by the time a month rolls around in the fall, you don't even notice it. You start going out in 45 degrees and it's like no problem at all. Whereas Denver, you know, that time of year, if it's 45, you're like, man, it's cold out. So it seemed to take a little while, but I didn't know if there's like a kind of an idea. So. You've probably changed what you're wearing and how you're pacing. So yeah. it's not so much a physiological adaptation to the cold as it is changing your gear and your strategies. Okay. I'll have to pay attention to that next time I, next time I do that. So. so the next important thing I want to talk about for racing in extreme conditions is being a MacGyver on the fly. And... This is what really t experienced racers do. So say you show up to Whiskey 50 and it's 6 in the morning and the blizzard's obviously happening and you don't have the right gear, then you can MacGyver gear. You don't have to go to a store and buy it. You can get a grocery bag and stick it down the front of your jersey for wind protection. You can get plastic bags and put them on your feet a newspaper in the front. So um, think out the box and be creative. If it's a really wet race, what you can do is you can take soda bottles and cut them up and zip tie them onto your Dan tube as crud catchers or like a fender. Or if it's a really hot race, you can take a bandana and some gorilla tape and tape it to the back of your helmet. Uh, another thing, thing I like for a wet race is to get those hotel shower caps and put them on top of your helmet. You might look like a dork, but they make a huge difference. Just avoiding having all that water dripping in your eyes and muck going down your face, and they keep you a lot warmer. So be a MacGyver and be flexible. I think the, the fender thing would have helped a lot of people during that specific race. So with all that... Yeah, because the ground's covered in slush and hail, mm -hmm. so as it's coming up and your wheels are firing up on your body, it's like a constant icy shower constantly cooling you off. Yep. Yeah. Oh. So, so you, be, a, be a MacGyver, and the longer the race is, like some of these bikepacking races that take three days, then that becomes really important, especially as things break and conditions can change a lot over three days. Yeah. So, another uh -huh. Oh no, another, I was just gonna I was just gonna say so uh just reiterate that Kurt situation Kurt Refsnyder situation because he uh that that's a perfect example. So. He was prepared. Yeah. I I think he started with everything he needed. He didn't MacGyver along the way. And again in Arizona Trail Race, we had a really hot race 
unexpected temperatures. I think it was 2011, and Eric Lord was in that race, and he picked up one of those big, enormous, big gulp cups at a gas station and filled it with ice, and that was his MacGyver that kept him cool enough to finish the race, but you would never think of carrying one of those enormous cups in a bike race. Right, exactly. Uh-huh. I love that story. Uh-huh. And so now we're going to get down to mental toughness because that is really important when the conditions are extreme. Nearly always when the conditions are outside of the norm, like it's a super hot race or a super cold race or wet or muddy, the the times on the course will be slower and they can be significantly slower. So if you show up to a race, say Whiskey 50 again, and your only goal for that race is to go sub four hours and the conditions of just ruined that, you know, you're off plan. You're never going to make that. That made a lot of athletes crumple. I think particularly at Whiskey 50 because four hours is a real benchmark at that race. And for them, it was four or nothing. There was They had nothing left to motivate them to continue on. So being flexible with your goals is really important. If you, your number one goal is to finish, then it doesn't matter if you're four hours or seven hours. If you finish, you've made your goal. And I had that... I can totally see that situation. It's, it's really easily, really easy to become, to be inflexible. Like you don't realize it, but you, when you have your eye on it, so focused. And then afterward, you're like, I don't know what happened. In a lot of cases, it's, well, you didn't have a backup plan or backup yeah, goal. When your number one goal went out the window, then you just crumple. So resetting goals on the fly and committing to your new goals, it's a key ability. And when the conditions get really tough, some athletes really shine. They seem to get stronger, whereas some athletes, they if it's not ideal conditions and everything hasn't been perfect for them along the way, they don't have the flexibility to change their goals and still enjoy the process. Yeah. Some athletes really love suffering, and they don't care what else is going on, but they're they're going to finish. They're the really tough athletes. So I wanted to finish uh, with a quote from Whiskey 50 from one of my athletes that did finish Whiskey 50. And I want to read um, the email that he sent to me. <clears throat> he said, Although nothing went according to plan, I really plowed proud to have completed this race even if I had a seven hour finish time. I never got a bad attitude during the race. I never considered quitting. The snow on the mountain was beautiful. For me, this race became more about persevering when things were tough than it was about my finish time. This race, because of its poor conditions, allowed me to learn a few things about myself for which I'm grateful. I think that sums up being flexible with your goals, being tough, sticking with it, and still coming out the other end with a really valuable experience. I would say so. That's. I can imagine that there's a lot of people in that same situation as him. All those finishers that, you know, had that goal in mind and just just stuck it out. It seemed like it'd be a be a good experience. Yeah. So. Um, 
Tell us about, so today's open coaching, I want to give you a chance here to tell people what's going on with you. Um, but today's an open coaching day. Can you tell people, give people information about it, uh, where to find you, uh, website, uh, that kind of info? Okay, my open coaching day is today. I do it the first week in every month, and today is May, May 1st, so we're doing it today. And I'm on my Facebook page, which is LW Coaching on Facebook. And just I'm live online all day. You can post questions, and I'll get to them, answer them, and we can have a back and forth. Sometimes I'll ask you questions just to dial down to your situation a little further. So that's today on my LW Coaching Facebook page. Then if you want to get in touch with me, connect with me in the future, it's Linda at LWCoaching.com and websites LWCoaching.com. But I have to tell you today I'm upgrading and overhauling my website, which I'm excited about. And some things are breaking as I'm migrating them to a new server. So if my website doesn't work today, then just check back in tomorrow. And I will people listening if you're listening to this just uh scroll down on the screen and you'll see all the links to facebook page website so that way you can check it out and if you're listening to this on the app it's real easy look at your screen your uh, iphone or android and in the bottom right hand corner there's a little e if you click just tap on that e it'll take you all the links so as you're listening you can tap on the e go to that screen and you can uh, click on any of those links directly so it's really easy that way too. So, all right, cool. Thank you, Linda. Yeah, um, thanks for having me again. Yeah, no problem. And uh, we'll look forward to doing one uh, next month then. Um, so everyone listening, I appreciate it. And uh, thanks again. Be sure to tune in for the next episode. And have a good day. Thanks for listening to the LW Coaching Show. <laughs>